Welcome to Acquiring Minds, a podcast about buying businesses. My name is Will Smith. Acquiring an existing business is an awesome opportunity for many entrepreneurs. And on this podcast, I talk to the people who do it. Today's episode is a little different. It's pure education today. Steve Ressler is my guest. Steve is an investor in searchers, that is entrepreneurs who buy companies. And I use the opportunity to ask Steve how to understand working with an investor if I'm somebody who wants to buy a business. Steve is really well positioned to teach this stuff, and I think you'll agree he does so extremely clearly. If you're already knowledgeable about raising money and structuring a deal, this episode is probably a bit basic for you. But many of us looking for a company to buy are doing so for the first time. So I thought it would be great to get a primer on working with investors to do that. I know I learned a lot, and I asked the dumb questions, so you don't have to. (laughs) Here he is, laying it all out for me, Steve Ressler. Steve Ressler, thank you for joining me today on Acquiring Minds. Uh, Thanks for having me. You are a very visible person in the world of acquisition entrepreneurship. Uh, You're active on Twitter. You speak at conferences. You're an active investor in people buying companies. You've got uh, a, a monthly newsletter, ETA Musings, that I'm a regular reader of. People should go out and subscribe to that. And so so uh, you also come from actually a background of your own entrepreneurship. So you're a serial entrepreneur on top of that. So you've seen the world of entrepreneurship from many different angles, but now you're primarily uh, investing in, in searchers. I'm going to let you give your own proper bio here in a minute. But before we do that, I just want to tell everyone what we're going to do today, which is a little different than the usual uh, interview telling the story, telling the, the, the guest's story. Instead, we're going to do kind of a a, um, one-on-one on on working, self-funded searchers working with investors. So as opposed to the search fund model, which is somebody coming out of an MBA program and they have access to a network and resources, and they're typically raising more money to buy a larger company. Who we're talking about today is, is the person who comes home from work every day gets on biz buy sell, sees that local plumbing company or, or medical billing solution provider and says to themselves, man, I, I, wanna, I wanna go buy that company. I know I can run it, I know I can grow it, crush it, but I, I feel like I probably would need to get an investor involved to make this acquisition happen. But they don't know really beyond that, um, how that works, how an investor fix it, fits in, where to even find an investor. You invest in people like that. So we are going to answer those questions for this this type of person. So that's the context. But before we dive in, why don't you just give us three minutes on on you and what led you into this world of acquisition entrepreneurship? Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, Excited to to join uh, today and excited to connect with the audience. Uh, As you mentioned, my my background comes from uh, entrepreneurship. And it's really, my dad's side is all government employees and my mom's side is all entrepreneurs. So that's kind of where I ended up in government entrepreneurship. Uh, I went to Penn for grad school under a government scholarship and ended up working in government for five years in technology. I eventually left and started a company called govloop.com. And govloop was basically a mini LinkedIn for government employees where people connected, uh, learned online training and we grew that business, bootstrapped it, and we sold it to a software company called Gov Delivery, which is if you've ever gotten an email or text message from government, probably the White House or CDC or your local agency, it's probably from them. Uh, I was an executive there. I was the chief marketing officer as we grew from seven to 40 million ARR and sold it to Vista Private Equity, which is a large private equity investor in software. And that's where I learned a lot about kind of private equity and how to improve biz- existing businesses, uh, which in a lot of ways, search is uh, you know, the, the, the smallest of all leverage buyouts. So that's kind of where I learned a little bit about it. Uh, I eventually left and became a CEO of a small public safety software company. My friend had found it and we grew that business and sold it to Motorola Solutions about a year ago. So kind of day jobs and kind of classic uh, software entrepreneurship and private equity. I mean, I've just always loved investing. Probably like many listeners uh, grew up a uh, fan of Vanguard and a Boglehead, <laughs> and, you know, Buffett and Munger and value investing. And then uh, being in technology, I did a little angel investing in Washington, D.C., where I'm based, uh, as well as government technology companies where I have a network. And a friend of a friend had done search. And to me, it really clicked. The idea mm-hmm. of buying existing business, uh, I honestly didn't know it, it was a thing. And so yeah. learning that, kind of combining that private equity, 
buying existing businesses and making them better, and then having that more entrepreneurial spirit or putting in kind of first-time CEOs and driving businesses was really attractive to me. And so uh, that's when I kind of got the bug and yeah, I've been investing in search for, I guess, the last five years now. And how did you decide to be an investor in search rather than to be to, to go out and buy a company yourself? Yeah. So for, for me, partly I was operating at the time. So, yeah. you know, I had a day job and was, you know, full on speed for that. And then uh, I started out by being an investor in a couple uh, search fund of funds that exist where they take outside capital, invest in more traditional search. And then as I got uh, more in the weeds and working with searchers, I realized there's all these different types of search, traditional, self-funded, small businesses, large, which we'll talk about today. Yep. And uh, just really enjoyed working with searchers and and investing alongside uh, their great businesses. Cool. Well, that's a perfect segue. So let's start with some some definitions. So you just said how you you learned that there were these these flavors of search. Why don't you give us the categories as you see them? Yeah. So there's a couple main categories. So when you look up search funds off the internet, you often kind of start with uh, Stanford and traditional search funds. So the concept of search funds came, came out of Stanford, uh, you know, 30 plus years ago. And the idea was at the time that, you know, there's a couple top MBA students a year uh, would work with professors and their friends and they would pay the the searcher uh, to go find an existing business and buy it. And so kind of what you call traditional search now, the concept of often a re- recent MBA is raising capital to pay them a salary while they work full time to buy a business. Uh, and then those investors invest in the business is called traditional search. Okay. And so th- that is done. Um, now there's 20 plus schools that teach teach at MBA programs. It's popular, not just the US, but in Spain and Brazil and other countries. Uh, those are generally buying uh, decently sized businesses, 10 to you know, $50 million in enterprise value. There's a spinoff of those um, of traditional search called uh, traditional search accelerators. So instead of having kind of 14 individual investors investing in your search, one group is basically putting you through kind of a Y Combinator accelerator program, helping you search. And so those are called search fund accelerator is probably the most well-known one. There's one next-gen growth, similar concepts, similar model, paid to search, except you kind of work with one group uh, for that capital. That's what I'd call a search fund accelerators. And the, and Steve, the, the, there's the two that you mentioned are kind of the primary ones: search fund accelerator and then next gen partners. Yeah, next yeah uh, next gen yeah next gen partners. A couple of next gens. You got to make sure you Google the right one. But yeah, those are <laughs> the two main ones. There's another one, Broadtree, and you know, and now they're popping up. I recently met one in the in the Nordics that's doing this called True North um, out in Scandinavia. So that, that's also been cool seeing the international flavor. Great. And then next, I would say it's called. Uh, self-funded search. And I, I would say uh, self-funded search, I, I got to say, is there's two flavors of it. I'd say there's what I call self-funded search, uh, searchers buying generally small businesses, probably three to seven million of enterprise value, value of the business. Uh, and they're usually using SBA loans to cover a majority of that. Uh, an SBA loan can be, uh, the cap is $5 million. So often they're using that for you know the whole thing or most of the item. And they're either on SBA, you have to have, I think it's 10% down currently. And the searcher is either putting the 10% down themselves, maybe pulling out all their money from their uh, a home refi or 401k and, and doing that, or uh, going to friends and family uh, to raise that, you know, it could be 200 to $500,000. Or they're bringing in uh, investors like myself that do this uh, semi-professionally, and they're raising, say, you know, five hundred k to two million dollars. And so that's what I call kind of self-funded search using SBA loans. And then the other category I would qualify as like a separate sect of, of self-funded search is uh, is the very large deals, and those are often called independent sponsors or fundless sponsors, and that is more like. Um, deals that are 20 to $50 million of enterprise value, often someone that used to work at a private equity shop or maybe was a CEO of a company in a similar space. And often those are are, are roll-ups. So I've, I've invested in ones that are in auto collision or veterinarians um, or HVACs, and they're, they're doing very large deal. And the economic structure is different, but also um, the, the concept is different in the fact that usually those companies already have a CEO in place 
and the new person, the independent sponsor, is really kind of the chairman of the board and the the fundraiser and the person in charge of doing all the M&A transactions. So I'll pause there. That's great. That was great, Steve. And so in the independent sponsor model, the difference between that and traditional private equity is simply that the independent sponsor is acting sort of as a a lone private equity shop? Yep. And often independent sponsors will uh, build up a track record and raise a private equity fund. So it's kind of sometimes a bridge for folks that you know, want to eventually raise a private equity fund, but need a track record. So, but very, very similar in concept. Well, as I said, that, that was a great breakdown of the kind of the, the big three. And what we're going to talk today about is the self-funded type individual. And so you had said that the enterprise value could be three to 7 million. I see smaller deals. Like if we take it back to the biz by sell, you know, you'll see 800,000, 1.5 million. Yep. Are those deals too small for an investor like you to be interested in? Yeah. So I'd say there's, uh, a couple of different types of investors, I'd say, self-funded searchers look at. So, uh, and basically, the larger the deal, the kind of more professional the business, the more likely uh, investors are going to be interested. I'd say the smaller deals are often done uh, with folks that are very close to the searcher, and that's partly the smaller the business you go, the more fragile the business, right? So, um, often those, if it's a million-dollar enterprise value. Business ten percent down. You need a hundred k, and you know you don't have that in your four hundred one k or your home, or you don't want to pull it out. Um, usually, the the closest way to start are either uh, friends and family, but not, a lot of folks don't have those networks. And if not that, sometimes they go to kind of former bosses, colleagues. So you you'll see that a lot of hey, this person, you know, maybe they were in consulting and they had their partner at the firm, et cetera. Um, or as well as kind of local um, local investors as well. So I think there's kind of a, the smaller the deal, the more likely you're going to get local investors and friends and family, which makes sense, right? If you're buying a million dollar HVAC business in Greenville, South Carolina, that is actually kind of interesting to your classic local investor who might do real estate on different items, and they could potentially even help you in a way uh, uh, more than a national investor who can help you once you kind of get to scale, but might not be the person in Greenville to refer you three business leads from someone they go to church with, that kind of thing. Sure, so. sure. So, and just for Steve himself, your kind of bottom, um, the floor of, of where a deal would probably make sense for you, probably, there are exceptions, is about $3 million in enterprise value? Yeah, I've invested in companies kind of 3 to $50 million enterprise value. So, I've done probably... Uh, Half of what I do is traditional search, and those are a larger kind of ten to fifty million dollar backing the searcher deal. And then, um, you know, done a number of in the self-funded world using SBA loans, and most of them have been in that five to seven. I've gone as low as three, and then I've done a few of these larger independent sponsor deals. So, just to be clear, so as we break down, like if I'm looking at, let's say I'm looking at buying a three million three million dollar business yeah. with an SBA loan. Let's so let's say eighty percent of that is going to come from the SBA. Typically, I know that they'll 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 do as much as ninety, but typically it's maybe eighty percent SBA. Correct. And then ten percent of that, I I think it's an SBA requirement. Is is that the seller finance it? Is that correct? Yeah, that usually there's a seller financing piece around ten percent. And then the remaining ten percent is the cash. Uh, that that I, the entrepreneur, bring to the table. And I br- either bring that from my own bank account, if I'm if I'm so fortunate, or that it, I raise that money from an investor. So it's this it's this it's this cash piece that I either have all myself or I go out and I get an investor or friends and family, any any mix thereof. Correct. Yep. Okay, great. So how does that let, let's let's just for easy math, let's take a, a three million dollar business. And let's say um, 80% of it is from the SBA, 10, uh, what we just did, 80% SBA, 10% seller financing, and 10% cash. This yep. 10% cash is $300,000, right? So it's 10% yep. of $3 million. Tell me how, what is, what is an, an investor, the, the investor's role in that $300,000? Like, let's get into that, that, uh, that tranche and how it works. Yeah, so a, a couple of things that are important to know is... Uh, so on getting that SBA loan, anyone that owns over 20% of the economic interest, uh, which is which is economic interest is both like ownership, but also if there's a preferred return. So uh, often these structures have a preferred return, which is kind of a, a automatic 
uh, interest folks get on the deal in addition to the the equity. And so to get to your 300,000, you're usually not doing it with one person. You're getting it with a group of folks because no investor wants to put a personal guarantee on a business they're not involved with closely. So that's kind of a key part. So think of it less as, hey, I'm going to raise one 300K check. You're probably raising from you know, five to 12 different folks uh, on to get to your $300,000. Um, you know, a couple other details that I think is important as you bring in outside investors. Uh, if if uh, a person has not done al- alternative investments, um, uh, they, they, they will need to, and they'll need to qualify on, under the classic uh, qualified investor rules, which are, um, you know, they're written by the SEC, but they're items like, you know, you have to make over a certain threshold and income per year uh, uh, or have assets over a certain threshold, which is basically the SEC saying for private investments, we have a higher bar of the caliber of folks uh, who basically have the ability to lose the money. Do you, uh, do you know what those thresholds system. are offhand? I, they, they changed, yeah. recently, didn't they? Yeah, I think they changed, but it's I think it's 200,000 individually, 300,000 as a couple on the income. And I think, I forget the terms, it's of, you know, average the last three years. And then on assets, it's 1 million. That's probably, the, and then there's a separate, uh, and that's usually enough. Uh, there's a separate thing called a qualified purchase. That's a higher asset threshold. That's for, um, that's usually done for different types of deals. So yeah, so generally, like think about your 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 successful doctors and dentists uh, will qualify. The folks in, probably in your neighborhood that are uh, investing in real estate deals would probably qualify. But I think it's important you want that type of folks where this is not the first time they've ever done an alternative investment. Um, the second reason you want someone who's a little bit sophisticated is um, it's somewhat intrusive. So the SBA actually, if you're an investor in a deal that's SBA related, will ask information from those all those investors like two months of of their last of their bank statements and they'll ask questions about the transfers around it which if you've never done this before you're like why do i have to do this you know what's going on and it can really delay the close of your business if you have to wrangle 10 folks that have never done this before and you haven't prepped them successfully uh this is also partly why it's helpful uh, to use a bank that's done uh, a lot of SBA loans kind of in the search community before, because they'll be familiar with the these uh, logistics and will prep you and your investors ahead of time. If it's just a local bank that's never done um, an SBA deal with investors, uh, sometimes I've seen hiccups. Uh, and then the la- last piece around it is uh, you will owe the investor K-1. So if, if you're not familiar with a K-1, it's, you know, if, if the company is an LLC, which is a way to structure a company, there's C cores, S cores, LLC is a very common way. Um, you as an investor in the company, you own a, a share of that company. And so uh, if that company is making profits, which they should be doing, uh, you owe automatically liability on that profit, uh, your percentage, even if you don't pay, uh, even if they don't pay out a dividend dividend. So you you have to get a K-1 every year and file that with the government. So and often K-1s are sent after an April 15th deadline. So you have to file tax extension. So I wrote a blog post we can probably show in the notes around this, but I say all of that. Uh, well, I think it's important that you prep the investors that are um, that will join you in the search. So if it is you know family, friends, others, just knowing them knowing what uh, they're getting into and how it will affect some things that will come their way. And in terms of the, so 10 people, let's keep using our 300, 3 million and $300,000 example. So 10 people to get me to $300,000 is $30,000 a person. Yep. 10 K1s a year. That's a lot of herding cats. $30,000 is a lot of money, but it's not that, you know, it's kind of, it's not that much money. And so for, um, that seems like a, a lot of work for a lot of little checks, um, but you, that would be typical. Yep, yep. Uh, you could you could do maybe you know some five by do sixty or five by sixty or that. Um, but yeah, generally, um, your most of the cap tables I, I'm on on self funded. Maybe are raising a little more money. Maybe they're raising you know a million to two million bucks, but they're doing ten to fourteen investors. So yeah, they are doing kind of. Uh, a group of investors uh, they're putting together versus kind of, and once again, it goes, because if you just do one, they would then have kind of that SBA personal guarantee on themselves, which they would want to do. 
Right. And so, so basically the, the threshold for that, as you said, is 20%. So no one, no outside investor is ever going to want to own 20% or more of the business. Yep, exactly. And the nuance, it's 20, uh, but it's actually not just ownership, it's economic interest. So if there's a, 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 a preferred return on top of it, uh, the kind of rule of thumb is often it's actually 13% of the ownership. So and, and, and give us a little bit more on preferred return. Give us a, with some numbers behind it, an example, maybe. Yeah, so a preferred return, um, you know, we'll see in self-funded search kind of eight to fifteen percent, and so that's saying, hey, you know, uh, the investors will first get back eight percent, um, eight in this example. Let's make it ten, ten percent back of the money every year. So you're thirty thousand dollars a year, um, you're getting a ten percent interest kind of coupon on that money every year, uh, and there's some timing on when that's paid back. Um, it kind of depends on the style of the company when, but uh, that coupon, so you get the interest. And then on top of that, you're getting your, say, what whatever percentage of the company you own. So you're getting kind of both. And so when I say 20% economic interest, the SBA looks at it as, hey, that 10% preferred interest rate is it has economic interest in addition to the common, um, common ownership. Makes sense. So in terms of the investor's incentive and, and how they're getting money out of, out, of, out of their investment, out of the business, you just explained part of it. So I, I might get an 8% or 10% coupon on my investment. That is basically an expense to the business. And then I could participate in the profits of the annual profits of the business if the CEO chooses to, to pay those profits out at a pro rata dividend, correct? Yep. And... Other than that, it's simply when there's an exit, when when the business the business is resold or re-exited. Yep. So I think of it exactly those three ways. So there's the preferred return. Um, that's kind of as we talked about before. There's two. There's kind of uh, the annual profits, where obviously the first you know uh, SBA is a ten year loan. So at the beginning, you're just kind of paying off the SBA debt and the seller's debt. So there's less profit. Um, but say the business is really growing and you pay those off quickly. Um, you know, more and more you'll get where uh, you'll get the profit just from the company. And three is either the selling of the company or the recapitalizing of the company. So recapitalizing would be, hey, if you bought a business and it was doing 500K a year in profit and you have an SBA loan um, and then you grow it and say maybe it's doing 5 million in profit, you know, it goes great in 10 years, you can actually get new a uh, new loan based on that $5 million uh, of uh, profit you do every year. And so when you get that new loan, sometimes that's when you uh, recapitalize the company. Setting the expectations of the investors, how, how does that work? Is it usually the, the searcher, the self-funded searcher's responsibility to, I, I, it is their responsibility to basically say, look, I'm going to, I'm asking for this $30,000 check from you. And, you know, I, I expect to distribute out the dividends every year or don't expect a dividend because I'm reinvesting everything I can. I guess this is all part of the negotiation, but dive into that a little bit. Yeah, I think, you know, this is an important part on the searcher to clarify with investors just wh what is the goal of the business and how are you expecting to run the business and how does that mean on how the investor is going to get their money back? So, um, there's a couple different variations on it. I'd say uh, one is structure. So I talked about LOCs before, which are primarily how this is done. And it's kind of passing through the income. Uh, but there's also C-cores is a different way to structure a company. And some folks are, are structured as a C-core with the hope if they hold the business for five years and sell it, they'll qualify for this uh, qualified small business stock provision where, they, where you don't pay capital gains tax on that gain. And so for those businesses, they're going to the investor and saying, hey, we're not going to distribute out any money until the end of the five years. And so that, the structure of the company matters on how they're going to uh, get your money out. Uh, second, the type of business you're trying to do. So there's there's difference between growth businesses and 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 folks where you're businesses where you're just really trying to grow the cash. So some businesses I've involved in, they say, hey, why this we're buying this business with a million in profit. You know, we really think we can take this business from going 10% a year to 30% a year. And we're going to reinvest those profits the first few years. Uh, and then that, with the idea of increasing the equi uh, equity value of the company, primarily as the goal, 
versus through cash distribution. So that's an important thing, both for the searchers and investors to lie on, of like, what type of business is this and, and how are we trying to run it? Uh, and then last is just also tied to that, like, what are the expectations from the searcher and the investor on um, access to information in terms of just kind of quarterly, you know, are there going to be board meetings or advisory board meetings? Um, what's the level of detail expectations quarterly, annually, and trying to understand, um, you know, you don't, uh, as a searcher, you don't want a, an investor who's expecting super high quality, uh, private equity level financials every quarter. When you're, <laughs> what, what do you think? Hey, I just raised some from, from friends and family. I'll call you when I feel like it and vice versa. You know, uh, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, searchers being clear about what level of detail they're going to provide and where they have like guidance uh, is important. So you, we've touched on friends and family a number of times now. Typically, I think, at least certainly in the venture world, and it sounds like maybe in the search world as well, friends and family is kind of like your first line of raising money. It's people who love you and trust you, you hope. And it, it, and maybe their, their expectations are a little low. The investment is a little less professional. Um, stop me if I'm mischaracterizing any of this, but do you, do you have any thoughts on... Is that basically when you would go friends and family or or are there kind of more strategic ways of thinking about, do I try to try to raise from friends and family versus a professional investor? Yeah. So I, th I think of it in um, a co couple of different ways. So one is starting to think of like what you're trying to solve for. So some folks are, you know, it's just money. Hey, I need the money anywhere I can get it. Uh, I'll take it. You know, summits. You know, they they feel comfortable with the money, but they really want industry expertise. If you're buying a business in HVAC or water purification or some sector that you don't know that well, right? That's part of searches. We're buying these businesses that often we're not that familiar with, and you're trying to round out with expertise. Um, sometimes you're looking for uh, folks that can bring you business, right? So, I mean, what better to you know if you're running a, a property management business than getting some investors that own a bunch of real estate and apartment complexes. Like They're not guaranteed they're going to give you the business, but um, they know the folks that will. And so, and then last is, hey, um, you know, professional investors where, hey, I want to bring a higher rigor or caliber of the type of business uh, that I want to run because I, I want to run a large business. I want to run it at a level of a kind of a private equity business. So I think you, you, you look through those goals and then you, you adjust accordingly. Um, and then I think I also would say the business and the background will also tie it in. So what I mean with that, you know, professional investors are generally looking for the items in, in the classic uh, search books, you know, uh, the Harvard book, the Biden build book, et cetera, low customer concentration, high recurring revenue, um, you know, all those uh, tailwinds in the industries. And, and so, but you may find a business you really like, um, you know, you might be, you found a great travel business in your area that doesn't fit those. Uh, and it's a great business for you, but it's not a great fit for professional investors, but you might have great friends and family involved folks from the industry. So I think also understanding uh, quickly what, what type of business this is and what's the investor appetite for this type of business. So it's very case by case. Clearly, every every business, every every entre acquisition entrepreneur is different, as are investors and their goals. You had touched on the like what you optimize for, and one of the things, one of the kind of obvious things would be in, in industry experience. And many investors in this space recognize that the the acquisition entrepreneur isn't go going to have ever run or have any experience in HVAC uh, or in property management. Better if they do, but there, there's an understanding that in many cases they just won't have. Uh, so, is it how do you how do you as an investor think about that? I don't know anything about HVAC, but I bring you an HVAC deal, an HVAC company I want to buy. How do you get comfortable with that? Just kind of walk us through the thinking there. Yeah, I, I you know I think as uh, as entrepreneur uh, acquisition entrepreneur. Uh, a lot of what you're doing is how quickly you can learn items and be creative in networking and solve problems. And that's a lot, what a lot of being a CEO is. So I think the, the best CEOs uh, for these types of businesses may not know anything about it. It could be a military veteran has never done anything to HVAC, 
But when you talk to them, they've clearly done the research, right? It's just like a job interview, right? Have they read everything ever written about HVAC that you can Google, you know, and listen to podcasts like this one and other ones where they interview HVAC uh, operators? Have they connected and, and talked to 10 folks that own businesses in the space? Have they, the best ones I've talked to and said, hey, yeah, I actually went out and shadowed for two days, a, a fellow person. So I think it's really just building the credibility uh, that you've done the work uh, to learn the space. And I think what's beautiful these days is between Twitter, LinkedIn, podcasts, and cold emails, and, and just straight up hustle, uh, you should be able to quickly learn a space. Uh, the best folks I have seen, like, you know, I could have a learn about it, submit a, an LOI on a space they didn't know. Uh, win it on Monday, and by Friday, you think they've they've spent uh, two years in the space just because they've you know went twenty four hours a day uh, learning, talking to anyone uh, they could in the space. So that that's that's what I look for is uh, have they have they built their network and knowledge quickly. The shadowing people who are actually operating in the business. So if I'm somebody considering operating buying an HVAC company, and I know nothing about HVAC. And so I go out and find an HVAC operator to shadow. How how much does that really happen? Sounds ideal. Sounds great. Is it is it common? Should I can as as a would be acquisition entrepreneur? Should I consider that something that you know should be top of my list to to actually do? Or is that kind of like nice in theory, but doesn't really happen that often? I've seen the the some of the best folks do it. So I think I don't see it's not common, but I think it's it stood out to me. And you'd be surprised how many smart people are, are willing to do that, right? So um, it's kind of the classic uh, item, you know, uh, when you're a college student, you know, people, your, your college services say, hey, you should email alumni and ask them for coffee and this and that to learn. No one does it. It's kind of the same, you know, and the classic, you know, if you email 10 HVAC operators, you're not going to get 10 yeses. They're busy, right? So you probably get nine no's, but you'll get one yes. So, uh, and I would do it. I would do it in a space where I was serious. Uh, and you've done all the work. So once again, don't waste anyone's time. Don't ask for shadowing if you haven't listened, if you haven't Googled the internet and read everything there is on HVAC and listened to podcasts with HVAC operators. But uh, once you've done that, uh, I think shadowing is a great opportunity. You just gave an example of searchers that you've seen, self-funded searchers who on Monday, they knew nothing. And by Friday, it seemed like they've been in the industry for 30 years. If I... I'm somebody who sees myself that way, and I can I can really bone up on an industry quickly and just absorb knowledge, and I'm 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 not scared about going out and finding somebody to shadow and so on. And you know these businesses are often the services businesses at least are fundamentally pretty simple businesses. Do how important is is finding kind of smart money in terms of investment? So in the tech world, in the venture world, it's like, it's not just about getting a check. It's about getting a check from somebody who can really a lot of, add a lot of value alongside their money. But I suspect maybe in the world of services, that's a little less important because these, these industries are much more mature. They're, they're less jigsaw puzzles than, than some tech startup where you know the stakes are a lot higher and the chance of failure is a lot higher. Uh, talk to me about kind of smart money versus dumb money, not dumb money, but smart money versus yeah. any money in the world of search. Yeah, I, I'm a fundamentally I'm a big believer on you know you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, and so I think generally in life having people that are great around your table is worth it. You know, I think I think it's you'll it'll have a better business, but also be more enjoyable to work with, uh, meaningful relationships, et cetera. So I would always try to optimize for great, high integrity, high quality individuals, and that could be actually professional investors that could be friends and family, but I, I would always uh, spend time trying to get the best people on my team, right? If you're a, uh, that, that becomes the number one piece around it. And so the, I'd say the professional investors, the thing you get that is useful is pattern recognition. So I think the professional investors, the, the beauty of them is they've seen like stuff like uh, the the issues with labor shortages across the trades is kind of a classic thing you're seeing in these small businesses and yeah. the trades now. And yep. so you start having some pattern recognition of how that's being solved of, you know, partnership with community colleges, the pros and cons of training them junior on your team, et cetera. So I think that's what you'll get out of professional is kind of pattern recognition, um, some more national exposure. So, Hey, you should connect with these folks in different sectors or across the geography. Uh, that can help you. 
So I think that's what kind of the the professional investors will help you. And also kind of like how how to speak towards your financials, the reporting, kind of how, how to run a high quality uh, top business. I think we're we're local and profession uh, local and friends and families folks. I would look for folks that can really help drive revenue to your business. And so like a, you know, once again, if there's folks, if you're in a space where uh, you know, potentially like like real estate with a property management yeah. or hey, you know, if you're buying an HVAC business and you're buying, you know, get some investors that have done real successful and other related part of the, you know, maybe the, the construction marketplace or plumbing or roofing feels like an interesting um, addition to to your mix. And in terms of finding investors, recognizing that, you know, part of being, as you said, part of being an entrepreneur and a CEO is just solving your own problems. So I know there's no pat answer to finding your own investors. But given that you are out there as a as a visible investor and you're obviously looking for deals, you know, you're talking to a total noob. Where where, where do you recommend they, they even start outside of their own locality? Let's take friends and family and their own business network out of it. Online, where, where would you start? Yeah, so a couple of good places to start would be, you um, know, and I find they're kind of general notes, but Search Funders is, is a great hub. Uh, and that's, you know, I'm quite active on Search Funder. They have an investor list on their website. Um, I've gotten a number of deals through them. That's the easy place uh, to start to start and connect with. So that's where I highly recommend folks to start. I think talking to other searchers. So once again, once you start engaging and uh, you know, search funder or Twitter, or if you're an acquisition entrepreneurship mastermind group or buy then build, um, you'll talk to other searchers that have closed a deal and they will reference their other investors. So that's a good place to start. I, I would say for self-funded, one um, general mistake most make, or not most make, but some do is the traditional search investors generally don't invest in self-funded search, partly because they're writing larger checks and um, as mentioned, the the personal guarantee issue, and so going after the the traditional, you know, uh, search fund investors at a Pacific Lake or Anacapa that are kind of well known in the Stanford traditional search model, those generally aren't a fit. So um, that just kind of one note. And then what I would say, kind of last, is now there's kind of new burgeoning uh, other groups uh, spawning off. So uh, a friend of mine, Sam Rosati at Pursuing Capital, has kind of a self funded search incubator. There's a, there's a group, uh, DL Capital, Adam Leave and Eli that help work with search, self-funded searchers. There's another group, uh, SIG Search Investment Group that works with self-funded searchers and kind of a, a lightweight uh, model where they help kind of support. So I'd say there's kind of those, you know, smaller-ish groups. Uh, and then there's just individual search uh, investors like myself. And I'm, I'm always easy to reach out to. I'm just wrestler at Gmail if anyone uh, wants to connect. Uh, you mentioned SearchFunder as the first, the one of the first resources. SearchFunder.com for people who don't know, probably much of the audience already does. However, uh, one thing to I'd say about SearchFunder, Steve, you, tell me what you think. It, it's a bit of a misnomer uh, now, I think, because SearchFunder sounds like it's kind of for traditional search funds, and there is there is a bit of an orientation to the community to the site, or still kind of a legacy orientation toward kind of MBA programs and you know colleges and where where people went to school. But in fact, a lot of self-funded searchers are using it as a resource as well, and there are a lot of investors on there who would it be in, would be target investors for self-funded investors. So self-funded searchers. So don't let the name search funder um, turn you off and make you think that it's just for traditional searchers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a very good point. I'd say, I think it's over 50% are self-funded search, maybe even more. Uh, And just my own, we did a webinar there called uh, Tips for Self-Funded Searchers uh, that's in their archive. That was one of their most popular webinars and just kind of a classic example of like how many self-funded searchers there are uh, on search funder. And so you said I can go in there and, and to search funder. You sign up; it's a membership, and you there's a list of investors. And so I presumably I can search by industry experience, for example. So back to our HVAC example, I can search by investors who know something or have invested in HVAC. Yes, uh, I, I I don't know all the details of the filtering ability of the website, uh, but yes, you can you can search for investor. They have a good search. Uh, both keyword search filters as well as other ones, um, and then you, I think if you go back, like anything, go back through the archives, you'll see folks saying, "Hey, just closed my deal. Thanks to this bank or thanks for these investors for being involved." So 
it's also one that uh, the more you're involved and you're active, uh, you kind of start getting quick to the community, who are the key players, and very helpful community where people help each other out. So often, you know, people will reach out for me to deal. Maybe it's not a good for me, fit for me, but I say, hey, these three other folks are a good fit. Uh, to call them and then, you know, talk to those three and two might be a fit, one might not, but the one that's not gives you three more names. So it's a very kind of reference uh, community, which, uh, is, which I really like. I will say I'm, I'm relatively new to search funder, probably six weeks, and it is a phenomenal resource. So highly recommended the, the, the amount of the, the way that that community and that site has aggregated all the people in this world from all the different pockets all over the world, in fact, uh, is, is really impressive. And you can be asking about the most obscure, uh, seemingly obscure type of business. And somebody there will have experience doing deals or know somebody who did and put you in touch. It's, it's really powerful, really, at least as a noob to the, to the platform. It, it seems like that's the, the culture. Very cool. The, so now that I, so I'm a self-funded searcher, I've found some investors and I'm reaching out how can I increase my chances of them being interested? Let, let, let me reframe that because I've there. I mean, you could go on about you know, be professional, have done your research, yeah. so that you know something. All kind of all of the obvious stuff. So, so let me turn the question around. What are some of the more common mistakes that you see self-funded searchers when they're coming to you, Steve, or reaching out to you uh, with a deal? Yeah. So I think one one is just packaging it professionally. So. You know, I have a kind of two-page investment memo template I created that I share with folks, uh, just one format of just like how you put this information in the right way. Um, you know, I think the larger the deal, uh, but just generally it's good to put, to put a SIM together, uh, just kind of an overview of the PowerPoint of the deal, the market, et cetera, and just the more the high quality, the, the research and the thoughtfulness around it. So just treating it with a, with a, a rigor and a presentation. Uh, you can tell you don't have to be a McKinsey consultant, you know, and have that level of quality, but you should clearly have thought about the business in that way. And then I think uh, the last is, uh, I think, trying to come together with terms that feel fair to the searcher and the investor. So it is a little bit of a dance of like, what are the, what's the exact terms? Traditional search kind of has set terms of how it works. Uh, Self-funded, it varies a little bit more. I'd say that's another mistake that sometimes self-funded searchers do is, uh, you know, is finding fair, fair terms that feel like a fit for both sides. So, you know, obviously if, if the ter terms feel, uh, you know, it'd be like equivalent of a too high valuation in DC. So that's going to turn some investors away. And, and you see that um, with some frequency that searchers have unrealistic expectations of, of, of the terms with, with respect to the investors. Yeah. And I think that 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 is also where like, you know, you think deciding between do you want friends and family and you could probably get the best terms from your friends and family generally. Right. Because they're kind of unsophisticated and they uh, they would want to support you and more professional is going to be, you know, they're doing it as a not your friend or your family. Right. They're doing it as a, an investment. And so I think trying to understand what kind of capital you want and then um, setting the terms uh, to so. So sometimes I, I've seen businesses where. They said, well, I actually already have half the money committed on these terms. I don't want to change them. I said, well, that's fair, but that's because it's your friends and family. And yeah. that's fine. Maybe you want to go down the route and do 100% that way. But uh, finding like what's kind of fair in the middle uh, will require some change. You said you have a two-page template that people can use to put together kind of a, uh, a teaser on the deal that they're bringing to you? Yeah. Yeah. Happy to share that if anyone wants to, to reach out. Uh, it's just a two-page template. I, people ask me a bunch and they wanted to see examples and, you know, through NDAs, I'm not going to share other people's deals. So I ended up kind of creating my own uh, template of kind of what I think are the key things folks should put together when presenting. So a, a typical flow to reach out to you might look like, you know, I have a deal that I like. I Maybe I reach out and I introduce myself to you and I say, you know, here are a couple bullet points. Are you interested in learning more? Steve, you respond, you say, yeah. And then I send over I send over this two pager, for example, and then we're talking. Yep, yep, exactly. And then some people even do it now, like they might hear me on a podcast like this and just email me at srustler gmail and say, "Hey, I love the copy of the template." So I flip them the template, and they come back up a month later and they have it filled out with the deal. Just to get a sense of uh, the 
how often you invest, kind of the ratio of actual actual investments that you make to searchers that are interested in having you invest. Coming from Silicon Valley, you know, there's always um, there's kind of a, a very high ratio of people who founders who want funding to those who actually get it. What does it look like in search? Like how many how many deals do you actually do um, as a ratio of the deals that you consider? Oh yeah, it's a good question. Um, I haven't uh, run the exact math. Probably higher than venture. I think venture it's kind of like they see a hundred deals to do one. You know, right. I'm probably in the kind of one to one to five, one to ten range um, on kind of what what I what I see. And honestly, kind of it, it ebbs and flows um, during kind of the the period of the of the year and, and what else I got going on, et cetera. Is there anything I haven't asked you, Steve? Any, any obvious stuff that we need self-funded searchers to understand about this process and about working with an investor? No, I mean I think it's uh, well. A A first, just uh, congrats on the on the search. Um, it's a great community. Yeah, I mean A, a I think we didn't we didn't talk a high level of just uh, how cool opportunity it is. So you know, I I just do when the first thing that I ever heard you could buy an existing business, probably most acquisition, I'd be like, that's a thing. Like, you know, I put 20% down on my house. You know, you can put 20% down and own a cash flowing asset that you can grow and create. It's just, it's, it's an awesome opportunity. And I think it's uh, a great fit for a lot of different folks. It could be, you run a PL at a large company. It could be, Hey, you're a GM of a lawn care company, but you want to own one. Uh, or it could be you're working at Facebook and want to do something smaller. Uh, so I think it's, it's a really cool uh, opportunity to drive a meaningful impact. I think uh, owning, managing a business and, and helping create jobs for families is uh, a great a great way to make a living and great way to have impact. Uh, and then I'd say last, it's, it's a journey, right? So the search is a journey. It can be tough to find that great business. Um, but once you do it, you're, you're just starting the journey. And so I'd, I'd encourage you to surround yourself with the best uh, people you can. So that have aligned shared values and vision on that. So um, that would be the same in a startup. You know, you're on a journey trying to get, uh, have impact. You want folks aligned. You don't want to be uh, battling it out with your investors or unclear or people not aligned of, of what you want to do. And so I'd, I'd say the same in search. So find the, the best quality folks aligned with your vision and then together you can have impact. And uh if I can help in any way, I think what makes the community special is just uh, everyone gives back. So uh, as I mentioned a couple of times in the interview, if anyone wants to reach out, happy to to help. And if I can help, I'll help myself. If I can, I'll, I'll try to help connect you to, to other smart people uh, like we're doing on this podcast with Will today. The, you captured my exactly my own excitement about acquiring a company. And I also felt like I was late to have this realization. Although when I talk to people like you and others, it just it it's clearly not something that people recognize as possible still what what is it about I, I wonder why this is something that people aren't more aware of has something changed in the last five or ten years because the traditional search fund as you pointed out earlier is 30 years old 40 years almost 40 years old I wonder why it is that acquisition entrepreneurship is is just kind of grown so slowly and people are it's only kind of a, like a trickle of awareness. Yeah, that is a good question. Um, and obviously sites like Biz Buy Sell, I don't know how old Biz Buy Sell is up, but it's not new, yeah. right? It's 10, no, 20 it's 25 year old site. Um, and so it's it's always always been there. I think uh, you know, partly there's nothing wrong with being a W-2 wage earner. You know, I, I worked in government and I have a lot of friends, like it is a big risk, right? You know, um, you know, putting a personal guarantee on your back and SB low, it does feel risky when you're not used to it. So I think that uh that prevents a lot of folks. Uh, and then I also think it just hasn't been uh, marketed that, that well. And so that's part of the beauty of podcasts, the internet. I feel like more folks are talking about it. And so feel, folks just didn't even know that was uh, a thing. And so even the traditional search just started out at a few business schools. And for a while, it was kind of just Stanford and Kellogg and, and Harvard has now trickled down a little bit more. So you'll see Duke and UNC and Darden and Rice and SMU and Berkeley and seeing more colleges grow and teach the course. And I think the more you get exposure to it, uh, there's probably some exponential uh, uh, effect, right? So once you meet one person, you know, uh, that had done it, then then they'll tell someone else or someone who now took the class and, and, and MBA program wasn't right for them. But five years later, 
they go back and do a self-funded search. So um, it all kind of compounds on itself. We've now mentioned biz buy sell a number of times. You hear uh, a lot of hate, for lack of a better word, on biz buy sell. I actually, though, talked to many of my guests found their found their acquisition on biz buy sell. So, what are your thoughts? Why does it get such a bad reputation when, in fact, plenty of deals are done on that platform? What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's probably just the classic. It's it's been around a while, so it doesn't have the the most beautiful uh, design and user friendliness, and and there's a lot there, right? So it can be kind of overwhelming. Uh, so I think that's it's it's kind of the uh, maybe it's the the Walmart of the space, which you know Walmart gets crap, but it's great, provides great products at a great price, and a lot of people shop there. It's <laughs> you know and. Um, and I the Walmart of acquisition entrepreneurship, bizbysell.com. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And if, if you're a, a Nordstrom person, maybe it doesn't feel quite refined enough for you. And, you know, um, but I, I think it's a good sign. And now there's like a lot of spinoffs too. You know, there's the the axials and the micro acquires and the gen equities and, and others. So um, now there's a number of, of, of sites too. So I think it's nice to have both kind of bizbysell is a great home, but there's a lot of other ones as well. This is great, Steve. Thank you for uh, introducing us all to how the the structure of uh, self-funded uh, investing or getting an investor if I'm a self-funded searcher works. You've given us your email address, ETA Musings. Uh, what, what, how do I get there? Yeah. Uh, so it's uh, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash ETA Musings is a good way to find it. And also if you follow me on Twitter, just twitter.com Steve Rustler. Uh, it's also kind of first link in my bio. Recommended uh, both of those. I, I, I follow him in both places. Also, watch his Search Funder uh, webinars. So, sign up for Search Funder and they maintain an archive of all the webinars they've run. And you've done the self funded one, but I think you or your partner have done one or two others. You've been, you've been up on stage there more than once, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. So, as I mentioned, I invest with a good friend, Alex Mears in, in DC, uh, who's got a large cat. Uh, private equity at Bain and Carla, but also military veteran. And so he actually has taught modeling at a number of the large P funds. So we've taught a couple modeling courses on search funder, intro to mod- financial modeling or self-funded search. It's a little different for traditional search. So we did another one, intro to modeling for traditional search. Uh, we also did a session uh, for veteran searchers, if there's any military veterans audience. Uh, and we also have a, a separate nonprofit called Search and Acquire, Search and Acquire. Org. We have a number of resources targeted to military veterans. So uh, we love kind of giving back to, to all those communities. Great, Steve. This was awesome. Thank you very much for coming on and, and sharing your expertise. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks for having me, Will. Well.